Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're here with us this morning. Like Matt said, uh, it's a great honor and privilege to be able to talk to you this morning. Mitch asked me to uh, step in for me. He's out of town. And I said, well, Mitch, if you uh, take over worship next week, it's a deal. So he hadn't responded to my email yet, but I will wait and see if he, uh, he does that or not. But it's, it is a real honor and privilege to be with you this morning and to share with you some things that are on my heart. We're going to be taking a break from Acts, the book of Acts this morning, and um, just because I wanted to share with you some things that I've been learning. I've been, I've been growing a lot over the past year and a half, two years in my Christian faith, and it revolves around three areas of my life that have really uh, are, are changing, and I hope this morning we'll do that for you. I've been growing in the area of the beauty of Christ, just understanding who our Savior is, the beauty of Christ and the love of God the Father. The second area that has been really... Um, sticking out in my life and has been changing is the awfulness of the sin in my life. So the beauty of Christ and the love of the Father, the awfulness of sin. And the third one is how I can walk with Him more faithfully, how I can walk with Jesus more faithfully in my life. And that's been uh, always the issue we deal with. We hear all this stuff in church, we hear it in Sunday school, we got to apply it to our lives and be people who walk differently in our faith. Well, the walk with Christ is wonderful. I've had a great time over many, many years walking with Christ. But let me tell you this, the race that we are on is not easy. And I think you'll agree with me on that. Um, It's difficult sometimes. It's kind of like the Romans 7 passage where Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. It's just back and forth. And the best illustration I have for that is golf. You know what I mean? I love the game of golf. I I enjoy it thoroughly. I don't play that much. But I've taken lessons. I've grooved my swing. I'm getting into senior golf, so Herb Fortenberry is teaching me the ways, right, of senior golf, and he's giving me lessons on how to do that. And so as I'm playing more and more, I kind of go... It's just frustrating because I know the right thing to do, and I can't do it. I get up there, and I hit the ball perfectly, and then the next hole, I do the exact same thing, I think, and the ball is shanking to the right or shanking to the left, or I, I knock it in the dirt, you know? And it, that, it's kind of that same frustration that we have in the game of golf, and that's my Christian walk. I know the right thing to do. I know what God has told me after all these years of following Him, but sometimes I just don't want to do it, and sometimes I just don't do it. Something's wrong, and I'm messing up. And I found the best way to really illustrate that is just the game of golf and how that affects our lives. Some of you don't play golf, but you'll understand this. If you play in some of the better resorts, the higher-end resorts, sometimes you have to play with a caddy. And um, caddies are notorious for playing with a lot of hack golfers, you know what I mean? And and so I thought I'd read to you the 10 best caddy responses. for, uh, And this is how caddies respond. So the golfer says, I think I'm going to drown myself in the lake. The caddy says, think you can keep your head down that long? The golfer says, um, I'd move heaven and earth to break a hundred on this course. The caddy says, well, try heaven. You've already moved most of the earth. (laughs) Uh, The golfer says, do you think my game is improving? The caddy says, yes, you missed the ball much better now. Number seven, do you think I can get get there with the five iron? The caddy says, eventually. (laughs) Number six, you've got to be the worst caddy in the world. I don't think so. That'd be too much of a coincidence. Caddy says, please stop checking your watch all the time. And the golfer says, please stop catching your watch, checking your watch all the time. It's too much of a distraction. And the caddy says, it's not a watch, it's a compass. <laughs> Number four, how do you like my game? The caddy says, it's very good, but personally I prefer golf. <laughs> Number three, do you think it's a sin to play golf on Sunday? Uh, the way you play, sir, it's a sin any day. <laughs> Number two, this is the worst course I've played on in my whole life. The caddy says, this isn't a golf course, sir. We left that an hour ago. And the number one caddy response is the golfer says, 
that can't be my ball, it's too old. And the caddy says, it's been a long time since we teed off, sir. <laughs> you know, golf can be frustrating, it's a frustrating thing, and the Christian walk sometimes can be extremely frustrating. It's very difficult sometimes, and um, one of my mentors said this, the Christian life is, a, is an adventure to be lived and a mystery to be unfolded. And I thought that was really true, and if I look back at my life, it's always been an adventure, it's always been a mystery, and God's always doing something amazing. But sometimes, if you're like me, uh, honestly, you're just ready to tap out. You know what I mean? Life starts pressuring in, the life starts getting difficult, and you're ready to call it quits, and you say, you know, I've had it. Life is pressing in on me, and I just don't know what to do. You, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you want to raise the white flag and just kind of say, I, I've had it. And that's an, an, an honest response, if we're really honest with ourselves and our Christian faith, you know. Let me give you some examples. Uh, your finances are just in a mess. The number one issue in marriages is finances. And sometimes our finances get such in a mess, and we, we go backwards and forwards just trying to get on top, and we can't seem to get there. We can't seem to make it out of that hole we're in. Or we do something to blow up our family because of the way we spend money. Finances can press in on us and become very, very difficult. Um, your family, you know, sometimes we have family issues that blow us apart. You do things or somebody does something to your family that's very, very difficult. And we have a hard time wrestling through those kind of issues. How about sin in your life? You know, we all have sin in our lives. We're all um, vulnerable to all kinds of temptations and sins. And sometimes it blows our families apart. Sometimes we can do things and say things and, and be things that are just not right and our families get blown apart and, and it's all because of sin in our lives. Or sometimes marriage is just hard by itself. You've worked hard, you've tried to be the godly woman or a godly man that God has called you to be in your marriage and it's just not working and life gets exhausting. And you kind of go, God, what am I doing wrong here? I'm trying, my husband is not understanding, he's not following the Lord, what do I do here? Or on the, uh, you know, the male side, I'm trying hard to be a, a faithful husband my wife just does not respond. And marriage gets very difficult sometimes. Um, maybe you're divorced or widowed, and life can get very lonely, can it? And the nights can get very long. Maybe you're a student, guys, and you kind of go, I don't want to go to school in the morning because you know what? I go to school, and all they do is make fun of me. And it's, just, it's horrible, and I hate getting up in the morning going to school. We've got addictions that control us. We've got anxieties that, that we worry about. We got fears for our family, fears for health issues, all these kind of things pressing in on us all the time. And sometimes it feels like these things just own you. You know what I'm saying? They just own your life. You can't get your mind to stop thinking about these pressures that, are, that, that come in on us and, and press in on us. And we ask the questions, and these are honest questions. How do I continue my life? God, where are you when, when things start pressing in on me? Or God, where are you? Why are you so silent in my life right now? Why aren't you answering my prayers? And life starts pressing in. And we start asking questions about God. Let me share with you something, though, that I've been thinking about quite a bit. I became a believer in Jesus Christ a long time ago, 40-plus years ago. And I've got to be honest with you, in those 40 years, I haven't thought much about my salvation, the fact that God saved me. I mean, I was sitting in a room as a teenager, and, and Christianity became more than a myth and more than a legend, because that's all it was to me. And I realized that, that this Jesus wanted to be involved in my life. This Jesus wanted to know me, and he was personal and real. And I made a decision to follow him a long time ago. But since that time, and rightly so, I don't think much about heaven or hell. I, I just doesn't cross my mind much. I'm very thankful for God's grace in my life. But if I died today, it'd be a bad day for you guys. For me, it'd be great. I mean, seriously, I mean, it's a bad day. I, I don't want to die today. It's, it's a bad day, but I, open, I close my eyes and I open my eyes. I am with the Father. I'm having a great time. Life is good, right? 
I don't think about heaven or hell very much because Christ has saved me. I've placed my trust in him as my Lord and Savior. That's over with. I'll tell you what I do think about quite a bit. And I bet you think about it too. This is the question. Hey, God, would you fix my blank that is broken? You fill in the blank. I bet your week evolved around that question. God, would you fix this in my life? Or another question, God, I need help with this. You fill in the blank. Those are the questions that kind of permeate our minds, and they work through us daily, and they, and they eat at us. And so this morning, what we're going to look at is some scripture that hopefully will give you encouragement and give you um, hope that the race is normal and what you're experiencing is normal. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. If you've got a device or a Bible, feel free to open that. I'm going to put it on the screen. We're going to read it together, okay? Or not together, but I'll have it up here for you. Here we go. This is Hebrews, chapter 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame, he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, the chapter before this in Hebrews is talking about this great cloud of witnesses that has come before us. And it's talking about, you know, Moses and Abraham and Isaac and, and Joseph and David, all these great guys. You know what all these witnesses prior had in, had in common with each other? All these guys in chapter 11, they were broken, sinful people who wrestled with their faith through their sinful actions in everyday life, just like you and me. Guess who these guys were, these witnesses in chapter 11 that they're talking about? They were liars, they were adulterers, they were murderers, they were prostitutes. You know, we can go on. They were criminals, they were tax collectors, they were murderers of Christians. These witnesses, these people we elevate and we've heard about all our lives, that's who they were. Yet, Scripture elevates them as this great cloud of witness, these people that we're to honor. And we did that. You know, we learned about them in Sunday school we had little felt boards up, you know, remember that when Miss Betty taught us, and we had a little picture of Jesus and Moses and everybody. That's the guys we learned about. And, and Hebrews says they're, they're great witnesses and people we should look up to, but they're just people just like you and me. And what they had in common was just that, that they're running the race just like you and me, and they trusted in the goodness of their God, waiting on the deliverer. You know what the problem is, though? I think that really has been uh, tough for me over the past few years, and I've been learning about this. We, um, we take these Bible characters, and you know what we do? We, we, we elevate them to such a status that um, they don't relate to us. They're not like you and me anymore. They have halos on them. You ever seen the pictures before, right? What's, what's a halo anyway? I mean, it's not even in Scripture. I can't figure out what that is. But all these pictures, you know, and Miss Betty put them up in a class. They all got halos on them. And, and you know what? I, I can't find that, that word in the Bible, the word halo. So somebody came up with it somewhere. Here's what I want you to think about. All these people that we lift up as a great cloud of witness had broken halos. After they were healed or brought back to life, they had to die again. After miraculous miracles, most went back to work of life and slavery after they saw these miracles. And they went back to bondage, and they died in slavery, and they died in bondage. After living with the Messiah, they were tortured and they were killed. That's real life. You know, they were, they were just folks like you and me with broken halos. 
And I got news for you that's really interesting. Jesus didn't get a break either, you know? Remember, he's sitting in the garden before he was getting ready to be tortured and murdered, and he said, Lord, if there's any way this cup can pass past me, if there's any way you could take it away from me, please do. But he said, not my will, but your will be done. And he was crucified and put on a cross. Let me tell you what all these people had in common. Every single one of them had this in common, and that's the word faith. Let me explain to you what faith is. It's very simple. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is, and that he will keep his promise. Did you get it? Faith is believing that God is who he says he is, and that he will keep his promise. Hebrews goes on to say we're supposed to lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. Let me ask you a question. What's got you burdened right now? Right now in your seat, in what you're going through in this life right now, what has got you burdened? What sin has got you entangled and wrestled up with? You know that sin that's in your life, you just can't get rid of it? You're fighting and fighting and fighting, and sometimes you have victory, but then it just whoops you, and it owns you, you know? You're not alone, and I really get it. I understand where you're coming from. Um, Listen to how Paul describes his race in 2 Corinthians. This is Paul talking, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. He says, I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger into the city. Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through my sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, get this, there is, on, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall without my intense concern? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses." Paul, later on in his writings to Timothy, one of his uh, younger brothers in the faith, who's in the church of Ephesus, says, of all the sinners, this is Paul talking, of all the sinners, I am the worst. I mean, stop for a second here. Would you all agree with that? You know, come on, Paul. You wrote the whole New Testament. You're the worst? I think my hand is higher raised than yours. But he said, no, you know, I, I am the worst. That's an amazing amount of pressure that he's feeling. Hey, I've been a, a fan for a long time of the Navy SEALs, um, way before they're made famous in the movies, and um, Paul uses the metaphor of a soldier in 2 Timothy, of the word to be like soldiers, and he says here in 2 Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Well, uh, there's a guy, his name is Rourke Denver, and uh, he was in a movie called um, Act of Valor. He was a Navy SEAL commander. He was in a bunch of um, tours, countless tours in, in uh, the Middle East, and he is now retired, but he goes and speaks to church leaderships, to business corporations, uh, does a lot of uh, public speaking, and um, he does this exercise. You might have done this in other leadership seminars, but I heard it, and I thought this was an amazing thing about my life and running the race. So I'm going to ask you to do a little exercise for me. You're not going to sweat, okay? And just because you're in church, you go, I don't want to do this. It's going to be really easy, okay? I promise you, it won't be hard. 
So I want you to ask you to do something for me. This is something he does with a lot of his leadership teams. I want you all, if you could for me, I want you to raise your hand just as high as you can raise it. Would you do that for me? Just Thank you. All right, raise it. Put it down. Is all right? You're okay with me? No, no ambulances. Nobody's coming. That's good, right? That's good. Then he does one more thing. I want you to do one more exercise with me. Could you raise it up one inch higher for me? Just one inch. Okay? All right, put it down. Are you ready to tap out? Has something got you wound up and you're just, you're just said, I, I'm done. I, I'm just done. Admiral McRaven says this. It's just a great line. He says, um, if you want to change the world, don't ring the bell. And that's what Paul is talking about to Timothy. If you want to change the world, Timothy, don't ring the bell. Don't give up. When life comes in on you, look at my life, how it presses in. Don't give up. Can you go an inch further? You can. You just did it. It's easier to go an inch further if you know what Jesus has promised you. Much easier than that. Can you guys fix your marriage? Can I fix my marriage? Can I fix the sin issues in my life? Can I fix my kids? Can you fix sexuality? Can you fix all these issues in your life on your own? Nah. You know, you've tried it before. It works for a little while, but sooner or later, um, it's tough and you can't. Here's the good news. All through the Scripture, the people of God are coming up against difficult things in life. And they're frustrated and they're going, where are you, God? And the Scripture comes through with two words that is clear. And these two words are prominent all through the Scriptures. You know what those two words are? It's the gospel in two words. It's these two words, but God. But God. It's always that, you know? It's, it, you read the New Testament or the Old Testament, all these things are happening, and then God intervenes in people's lives. You can't fix your life. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's not a, this is not a, uh, a lesson for you to go, I'm going to leave here today, and I'm just going to be tougher and stronger. That's not the issue. The issue is you can't fix those things, but God can fix those things. It's His power and it's his strength. It's the gospel in two words. But, you, you know, here's what you're thinking in your head. But, God, you, you, don't, you don't know my sin in my life. You don't know my dark side, because we all have the dark side that we don't let anybody see, right? Um, you don't know all the things that I've done in my life. Let me, let me share with you something that's really changed my life. We are not saved by what we do right, correct? We are not saved. We don't go to heaven by what we do right, nor are we disqualified for what we have done wrong. And no matter what your story is, sitting here this morning, no matter what your story is, you are not beyond the reach of God. You're not. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're doing right now. You're not beyond the reach of God. What if um, you being here today is proof that God has come looking for you? Think about that for a second. What if, if you're, you being here and sitting in this seat today is proof that God has come looking for you, for you in your life? What if God is not done with you and wants to change you to do something that you never thought possible in a way you never possibly imagined? That gives you, it gives you a lot of hope, doesn't it? It gives you strength to raise your hand just another inch today, this week. Because the one who knows you best loves you the most. He knows everything about you. He knows your deepest, darkest, blackest secrets. And the one that knows you best loves you the most. And God says, everyone may leave you, but I won't. 
Everyone could leave you in your life. You could lose everything, but I am never going to leave you. That gives you hope, right? It gives you hope to raise your hand just another inch this week when you're going through difficult times, when the race gets hard. Hebrews goes on to say we're to run the race set before us with endurance. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate to run. The only time I should run is when people are chasing me, (laughs) right? Even in my prime, in my football days back in high school, I hated to run. I I just hate it. Uh, some people, I don't know if you run and you're a marathon runner, you're just weird. I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. This, you get into the zone and all this kind of stuff. I've never been in the zone. Sorry. It's just getting sick. That's one thing. But um, Hey, this, this race that we're on, it's, it's, it's not a sprint, guys. It's a marathon, right? And you don't get up today. If you're a marathon runner here, you don't get up today and say, I'm going to run a marathon. You train hard for it. You work hard for it, and you put in the sweat and the hours and the time to be able to endure that, right? I have no idea what your life looks like, what your race looks like. But the goal is at the very end, when we pass from this life to the next, that God will look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that the goal? We run through this life. It's a marathon. It's hard. We have difficult issues. It's just tough. When we close our eyes and open up again, we're with him, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have run the race well. Hey, verse 2 of Hebrews says this, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Well, I read that, and I said, you know, how does this help our, our race? How does this help our endurance race? Let me give you some tools that's going to help you this week and help you in your race, Okay. Number one, the God of the Bible never changes. Well, why is that important? Because like I mentioned before, the same God who acted with Moses and Abraham and Joseph, who acted with Paul and acted with Stephen, and all these, the same God is the same God who's active today in your life. He never changes. He doesn't change because this is the 21st century. He's the same God. The second one is this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why does that matter? Because the, if we want to know what God is like, we've got to look at Jesus, the visible expression of the invisible God, Colossians says. If you want to know what God is like, look at the visible expression of the invisible God, and you'll start to understand the character of God and who He is. And if He doesn't change, then He's still active and working today and in your life, just like my life, just like He was 2,000 years ago. It hasn't changed. That same power is available to us. Number three, Jesus promises to be with us always. Matthew 28. You know, here's, here's a uh, teaching that goes around nowadays, and it just bugs me. It's a bad theology. The, the analogy is, the metaphor is, we're, we're on the, the ocean, and we're walking on the water, and we start sinking in life's troubles. Life gets very, very difficult on us. We start sinking in the water. Well, here comes Jesus trotting along on the top of the water, and we go, Jesus, help me. We put our hand up, and he pulls us from the turbulent waters. That's just bad theology. He never promises that. But what he promises to you and me as a believer, I'm not, going to teach, I'm not going to pull you from the waters of life, but I'm going to teach you how to swim. You know what I mean? I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. No matter what you go through in life, no matter how hard it gets, and you go, God, where are you? I am right there with you. Don't ever, ever forget it. I will never leave you. This next uh, one is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, that verse is, it's, we flippantly throw it out there, and it's not about what I can do. It doesn't matter what I can do. I can't do anything, to tell you the truth. I can't fix anything in my life. But with his strength, but God, with what he can do, his power, his strength in your life, he can fix marriages, he can fix finances, he can fix relationships, he can fix all that stuff. 
It's not leaving and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's trusting in him who can do all things. And you put your trust in him and you seek him. And he promises to be with you. And this last one, his grace is enough, Paul says. Grace in three, three levels. The grace that saves you, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you never put your trust in him, that's because it's not about works, it's about grace. It's about what he has offered you. You can't get there on your own. It doesn't matter how good you are. The second kind of grace is the grace that changes us from the inside out. So when we become a Christian, God invades our life and he changes us from the inside out. He doesn't say, come to me and change your life first and then come to me. He says, come to me just like you are with all your junk and all your darkness and all your black stuff in your life and I will change you from the inside out. That's God's grace. Number three, he gives us the grace and the strength to change. He's the one that empowers us to change our lives. You can't change other people. Okay, don't even start there. Don't leave here today going, I'm going to change my spouse or I'm going to change my kids. It's not going to happen. But you can change yourself because God wants to change you from the inside out. But here's the problem. We walk from these doors here in a few minutes. We walk out of here and we kind of go, you know, it's all good and I understand that. But once I leave these doors, um, it, my life just doesn't act out that way. Well, let me ask you a question that, to that last slide. Which of those five truths is the hardest one for you to believe and why? Which one do you have trouble with? There's two options before us, and that's all we have. And here's the two options. The Scriptures are true, and God is telling us the truth, and we need to lean on them heavily. Or He is lying, and nothing He says is true, and we are hopeless. So do what you want to survive. That's the only choices we have before us. Either what He says is true, and what He promises is true, or it's not. And so if it's true, and I'm saying that it is, we need to lean on that heavily. The thief comes, get this, who is Satan, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Look at this picture up here. This describes, this came to me um, some, some months ago, and it just changed my life. This is my life. It's probably your life. We are standing on this cliff, and we're looking over, and we kind of go, boy, it looks good down there. Boy, it looks really good. I am tired of my marriage, and all i got to do is jump out. It'll be better down there. God will forgive me. You know? Or, or we have financial problems, and we kind of go, you know what? I don't have the money, but if I do this, it'll be better. I'll take care of myself. I'm just going to jump. It's the essence of human reasoning. And we say, you know what? It's better down there. But we don't understand the thief comes to kill and destroy. He comes to destroy your life, but it looks so good down there. And we want to jump, and Christ is constantly calling us back and saying, no, come back to me. Come back here because I have truth, and I have life, and I will be with you. Life not, might not be easy, but I guarantee you after you jump, you're going to die. You're going to blow up your marriage. You're going to blow up your life. You're going to blow up your kids' lives. You're going to blow up somebody else's life because you make that jump. But it feels good at the time. So I'm going to jump. He says, no, step back just a little bit. You know, he says also in this verse, um, uh, when I was thinking about this, I started thinking about the, the life that's before us in, in Christ, and that um, a, a verse came to mind where Paul says, um, knowing all these things, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
I was thinking about that. We go, how do we become more than conquerors? Honestly, how do we, if I'm a conqueror, if I'm a king and I conquered a nation, how do I become more than a conqueror? How do, I don't know. It just seems like if you're a conqueror, you're a conqueror. Well, here's the deal. To become more than a conqueror, we take things prisoner. Like the, you, you invade a country and you take a prisoner, you take all our spoils. You do more than that. You put them to work for you. So when, when death comes our way, what do we do? We put it to work for us. Like we've done in this church. We've seen it over and over again when and sickness and stuff comes on us, how faithful people in this church have said, I'm going to make it, a con- I'm going to take it myself. I'm going to become a conqueror of this thing. Or in life, it's good or bad. We make it, a, we become conquerors, we take it and we put, we put it in charge and we put it to work for the kingdom of God. When angels or spiritual forces, things we can't explain come against us, we take them and we become more than conquerors. When rulers or systems of governments or work or family start imposing on us, we, make, we become more than conquerors, we take them and put them to work for Jesus Christ. Nothing will separate me from the love of God and a loving Father who stands by me and promises that he will never, ever leave me. I think of this verse sometimes in Isaiah. It says, um, can a woman forget a nursing child that she would have no compassion on her son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. It goes on in Hebrews to say the joy that was set before him. And I had to think about that for a second. I said, what's the joy of going to the cross? You know what that is? It's you. He saved you. He went to the cross for you. The joy, I mean, there's no joy about being tortured and killed. But the joy was set before him, the fact that when I die on this cross, the sins of the world are going to come on me, and I'm going to pay the price for my children, for those who I love. Well, if y'all been watching the Olympics, it's Winter Olympics, but... um, I want to give you an illustration that had a lot of impact on me, and something you probably don't remember. This is Summer Olympics, but in 1992, Olympics, uh, something happened on the track that most people won't remember. A British runner by the name of Derek Redmond was running at 400 meters. He had trained well and sacrificed to be selected to this dream team. He had paid the price. He competed. He worked hard. He devoted himself in every way to his goals. He got to the Olympics. He got to the semifinals, 400 meters. His friends were there to watch him. His family was there to watch him. His father was there to watch him. I think he did a lot more. So give me a couple minutes. I want you to watch this for me, okay? If you're looking in the record books, under Derek Regman's uh, name, you know what you'd find? The initials DNF, uh, did not finish. But you know what? He finished, didn't he? Through hardship, through pain, and through tears, and through unanswered situations, through disease, and through struggle, that's our challenge is to finish the race, you know? Leaning on a good, good father who says, I will never, ever leave you. And I can't get this picture out of my mind, guys of the father coming up on the track. Don't miss this, right? The father coming up. I don't know what he said to those officials. I know what I would have said, right? But I don't know what he said to these guys, but he's, you know, he, he's going to be with his son no matter what. He's going to walk him through that race. The Lord your God, in Deuteronomy says, carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. What has the Father done for you? He hasn't left you. 
don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your race is, and it's hard, I know. Um, it can be hard at times, but he's with you. Jesus, um, defining his character, says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in closing, let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, are you ready to tap out? Are you tired of things just owning your life? Well, the challenge is this week, I want you to remind yourself that you have a good, good father who promises to be with you and carry you through life and teach you how to swim. So I want you to run the race. I want you to run it well. Okay, I know it's hard. and I know it gets tough sometimes. And I know it gets great sometimes. We cross the finish line in first place and we go, man, that was awesome. But it's always the good, good father who walked with us. Timothy says, uh, in the book of Timothy, John, uh, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the race. That's our goal. Would you spend just a couple minutes? I know we're running late. Just praying with me and we'll be finished, okay? If you close your eyes and kind of block out all stimuli for a second. And um, I can't promise you this morning when you walk from here, your life's going to be different. I can't promise you that your situation's going to change. I can promise you that you have a good, good father who loves you and will be with you always. He never leaves you. My question is, do you know this loving father? Do not let this time pass. If you can say for sure that if you were to die today, I don't know if I'd be with the father. I don't know where I'd be. Jesus Christ came and died for your sin and for my sin. Don't let it pass, okay? If you don't know for sure, all you have to do is say, Lord, I give you my life. I forgive me for my sins. I place my trust in you as my Lord and my Savior. That's it. That's all there is to it. Not about how good you can be or how well you run the race in this life without God. It's about Him and Him only. I know you're tired, but you will never leave me, God. Your grace is enough. Thank you that you don't disqualify me for what I've uh, done in the past. You promised to help us to finish the, uh, the race. You promised, Lord Jesus, to cross that, that finish line with us, even if you're carrying us. So strengthen us for the race. Lord, carry us when we fall. Thanks for loving us so very, very much. Um, we love you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate my opportunity to share with you folks. And have a great week. Run the race well, okay? God bless you. See you later.